bueno. So I, this wasn't, this isn't part of my sermon today, but um, last week was probably, I've preached a lot of sermons in my days. I'm old and I've got a lot more in me, so you're not getting rid of me anytime soon, but um, I, I think last week might have been my favorite sermon I've ever preached. Um, like I don't usually go back and listen, but I went back and listened to all of last week's sermon. Um, and I think it's because it changed me. Man, I don't want to come here because it's the right thing to do. I don't want to show up in this place because it's a box that I can check off from my weekly task list. I want to come here because God's working on me. And because in this place, he changes who I am. Um, we have a friend right now that's in jail. And uh, um, and last week, so last week's sermon literally was about the kingdom of God and the sheep and the goats. I'm just going to give a recap. Again, these aren't in my notes, but we got a half hour. I got at least 28 minutes, right? And um, And so last week was about the sheep and the goats and how... At the end, at the very end of all time, Jesus is going to separate all people, all humanity from all over the world. And he's going to look at half and he's going to say, hey, he's going to look at a remnant, a part of the people and say, you're the sheep. And you're the sheep because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me with hospitality. And then he's going to look at the other side, and he's going to say the complete, we may not even, I'm not even preach this today. I don't know what I'm going to preach. Um, and then he looked at the other side, and he said, um, he said, yeah, you didn't do any of those things. And really what hit me is, I, I think that, and I'm turning a little bit into James. So if you read the, um, James try, they try to kick James out of the Bible on a regular basis. The book of James, at the, it's the end of the New Testament, close to the end. It's just this little skinny book, and pretty much he said, if you're living, if you proclaim Jesus Christ, but your life doesn't show it, it's not going to work. You're not really saved. Um, and so I'm, I'm leaning a little towards James today and going, man, if, and if we're not, I don't know, if our lives are not exuding Christ in our daily walk, then we're not really loving Jesus. And that challenged me this week. And so I read that passage, and then I went to jail. <laughs> I've never been to jail before. And, uh, and I went this last week. And, uh, and I thought, man, how much more could you actually live out the passage of Scripture than what we preached last Sunday, than going to prison and seeing somebody there? And I leave, I leave, and I get a text message shortly after that says, hey, there's somebody else here in the prison who wants to know if you'll come meet with them too. And so this week, God's just really been working on me and changing me. I don't, and I've said this before, and I really mean it, but I think sometimes my life just gets into routine. I don't want to play church. I don't want to play church. I can go anywhere and play church. I can show up anywhere on Sunday morning and worship with people and hang out. I can, I can do that. What I really want to do is something that makes a difference in this world and brings about the kingdom of God. And so I, I'm going to ask you guys to pray for me this week because I'm going to be approaching the jail asking if I can be a part of, um, of doing a service or a Bible study there in the women's ward um, and then 
here locally this week. So will you guys commit to pray with me that God will open the doors for that? Yeah. Because I really want to be there at that final trumpet call. And then it actually is a lot to do with the passage today, which is from Jeremiah, but all of the passages in Scripture from the lectionary today are about, um, about, about what is to come, the kingdom to come. Um, but I really want to be there, and I want Jesus to look at me and say, man, you rocked that sheep thing, girl. Like, you really did it. You really did it. I hope you'll join me in it. I'm not necessarily going to prison. I don't even know if they'll let me in, so I don't know if they'll let you in. But, um, but finding a way, especially this holiday season when our hearts are already focused on it, find a way to feed somebody who's hungry, give a drink, like be a physical representation of Jesus showing up in somebody's life. Seek him and see how he might have you to do that. And maybe just maybe we can be a people who bring about hope to someone this year. And we're doing that as a church um, a couple ways. The tree back there, I think we've got like 30 tags of 100. We started with like 130, I think. So we've got 30 tags back there. Make sure that you sign your name whenever you take one. Go buy some gifts for somebody. Bring them back. Um, Tony Bricker's already on top of it. She put her gifts back there already today. But take a tag. Go do it. Go shop for somebody Buy something for someone that you don't know because they may just need a little bit of hope this Christmas. So if you haven't done that, do it. Um, we're going to do it by sending almost $10,000 to Mozambique. $10,000. People in Mozambique, yeah, right? <laughs> Scripture tells us that people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And these pastors are going to be trained in this ministry training center in Mozambique. Man, a light is going to shine in the darkness. If you weren't here three weeks ago or you didn't hear that sermon where we talked about it or four weeks ago, it's been a while now. But, um, and you want to give towards the project in Mozambique, that money is due this week. So if you didn't put it in the offering plate this week, put it in there next week. It's not a big deal. We just want to get a sin in as soon as possible. So if you pledge something, please give it. Um, and we're going to get that sin off here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, if you have any questions, if you forgot what you pledged or you, you know, and you, if you can't do it right now and you can do it later, just let me know. Like, it's not, it's not the end of the world. We'll figure it out. But we want to be faithful to what God has asked us to do. And then one last thing. We're doing second set of announcements today. Come Peasant King is a devotional book. It is also the series that we're going to be in over the next four weeks. Oh, um, it's fantastic, and your life group's going to be doing it. So if you didn't buy this little book, it's $5. If you can't afford $5, just go steal one out of the office. It's fine. We want you to have one, okay? Actually, let Karen know that you're stealing it because then we can know where it went. Um, that'd be helpful. But grab this, um, your life group, whether you come to mine or um, the wards and Hutchison's have one on Sunday nights too. Or um, let's see, who uh, we've, got, we've got on Tuesday nights. Um, Julie and the, is at the Crafts Home um, on Wednesday nights. We have uh, Molly Tennant, and that is at uh, the Murphy's Home. And on Thursday nights right now, we have Dave Good is leading one at Linda Swafford's. And then also we have our young adult one on Thursday nights. Did I catch them all? Did I do good? Yay, great. Um, so if you, don't, if you don't have a life group right now, plug into one. What a great way to dig into the Word of God. And speaking of digging into the Word, why don't we do that right now? You stand where you are this morning 
as we read from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. It's not very long, so you don't have to worry about standing up too long if you're sleepy. Oh, good, you're alive. That's great news. That's good news today. I don't remember when it was, but it was sometimes I preached recently, and y'all acted like dead people. I think I asked if you were alive, so I'm glad that you're smiling this morning, and eyes are open, and you're doing good. That's great. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things. Okay, I want you to remember, remember this part. Actually, I want you to read with me from here till the period, just on this slide, okay? We're going to start with all. All the good things I have promised them. You're going to need to remember that. We can keep going. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right, or if you go back, you can... Um, do a maybe a little more literal translation it says that he will do justice and do righteousness do justice and do righteousness not just just and right throughout the land and in that day Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and this will be its name the Lord is our righteousness the word of God for the people of God Amen. You may be seated. I just opened up my notes, and I was like, oh, wait, I just, oh, that was last week's sermon notes. I haven't erased them out of my book yet. You know, we talk about hope, and we lit our candle of hope, and it's really burning. Man, that flame is going gangbuster over there today. Um, if it lights anything on fire, somebody come and uh, blow it out. How's that sound? Um, this, this feeling of a hopefulness that we have. Now, if you're around me for any extended period of time, you will know that I'm usually a half glass full kind of girl. I can make hopeful things out of like nothing. I mean, it can look terribly grim and I can be like, no, win, conquer, do, go, we can make it, yay. Um, it's just my personality, right? Rebecca's laughing because this church will come in my office and be like, the daycare is falling apart. And I'm like, yay, Jesus. <laughs> Way to go. We're doing awesome. Um, it is. It's true. So hope is the expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, that makes sense. We go, oh, we think of all the things that we hope for. All the things we hope for. And maybe there are little tiny things, like it's Christmas time, right? And so um, for young people, and maybe even some of us older people, there are things that we might be hoping for this Christmas season. And it could be stuff or things. It could be, um, it could be more about relationships. It could be about family. But we're all thinking and hoping for something. It's this expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. Another definition of hope that I found that I thought was really interesting was a feeling of trust. Now let that sink in for just a second. Hope as a feeling of trust. The book of Jeremiah is um, a great prophetic book. It gives us a whole lot of wonderful and marvelous things um, about what God is doing and how he is working in his people. Um, and Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of God. He lived right outside of the city of Jerusalem in the kingdom of Judah um, uh, during the reign of several different kings. He lived a long time. Um, and during all of the reigns of those kings, um, Jeremiah continued to serve as his priestly duty. So he was, um, from the, he was from the tribe of Levi, and his father was a priest, and he was becoming a priest. But he looked around, and he saw all of this desolation, and he knew that things were not going well for them. 
See, decades before Jeremiah's time, the Assyrians had dominated the entire eastern world. They'd even taken over Egypt, I mean, for a short period of time. So that kind of tells you the, the vast amount of domination that they had. Now, there were several different kings during that time. Uh, King Manasseh was a vassal to Assyria. Now, what does that mean? It means he pretty much sold out his kingdom. He told Assyria, he goes, I will work for you. Which, if you know anything about the way that God had ordained kings, it wasn't so that they could work for anybody else. It was so that they could work for God and for God's people. They were supposed to be separate they're supposed to be a people of justice and righteousness. Instead, he was selling out to other kingdoms. And so he had sold out to the kingdom of Assyria. And during that time, the land just became a spiritual wasteland. Other gods and idols had moved their way into the land. And the words of God to the people of God were not very hopeful. As a matter of fact, it didn't just become a spiritual wasteland whenever it came to God speaking to them, but even the temple itself was turned into a temple for other idols. The words of God were lost. The heritage of loving God and loving others was completely gone. His son, King Amon, came along, and he wasn't any better. Dude was just as bad. But a little glimmer of hope shows up in a very young king named Josiah. Now, during Josiah's reign, he moved in and said, I'm not going to be like my father was. Um, here, is this, here is a beautiful little extra tidbit. You can break the cycle of hopelessness in your family. Like, I've seen it over and over again. I have, a, I have this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful friend, and she is living a life of loving God and loving other people and having a family, her husband and, and her daughter. Like, they have this beautiful family, and the only reason that it was possible was because she broke a cycle of drug addiction and sexual abuse and hopelessness in her family. Like, she broke it. She did it. I think sometimes we think we have to live out the sins of our parents. Scripture tells us that's what happened. The sins of the father become present in the sins of his children. It's not because, it's not like a curse of God. Some people are like, oh, well, that's a promise of God. Your sins will, no, it's not a promise of God. It's just what happens because you're discipling your children to do the same things that you do. Right? We're discipling our kids to do the same things we do. Every once in a while, my kids will do or say or behave a certain way. Oh, this happened yesterday. This isn't in my sermon notes anyways. I probably shouldn't have even written a sermon. So yesterday, we're at Cracker Barrel, and my dad and mom are there, and, my, and, and we walk up at the, you know, we're, we're at Cracker Barrel, and I, I grab my mint. They're so Cracker Barrel has these amazing chocolate mints that are dairy-free, and I can eat them, and I ate the entire bag on the way home yesterday, and it was glorious. And the kids were like, can I have one? And I'm like, no, they're my mints. You can't have any. I didn't even share. And so I walked up. My dad's paying the bill, and I was like, here, he wants these mints. <laughs> It was very nice of him to pay the bill. But then he also, and he, and he was like, that's fine. You better hurry up and ring me up before she needs me out of house and home. I don't have any money left in my bank account. Dad, if you're watching this, that's really how you sound. And, um, <laughs> and so <laughs> he won't watch now. He will watch later, and then he'll call me on it. Um, and so, and then I walk back into, and I see Miles sitting there, and I'm like, Oh, that's where the dude gets it from. He's so sneaky. He'll just walk and be like, you want some gummies, right? And like he'll, and I'll get it. I was like, yes, I've discipled my children to be sneaky and get things. So it's all my fault that Miles is the way that he is. It's fine. 
It's fine. We disciple our children to be a certain way, but Josiah broke the cycle of desolation in his own family. He said, no, we're going to restore the temple to its former glory. And in the midst of restoring the temple to its former glory, they also found the book of the law of God. And that really influenced Jeremiah's life and ministry as he started working with the people of God, trying to lead them back to God. Unfortunately, Josiah died. And with his death also came the desolation of the people. It was no longer Assyria that was in charge, but now the Babylonians. And they had taken over everything, everything. And this included Jerusalem and most of the land of Judah. Now, if you read at the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah, you'll find some pretty, uh, some pretty interesting stories. Jeremiah is also called the weeping prophet. Unlike any of the other prophets in the Old Testament, and there's a bunch of them, there's major prophets and minor prophets, little tiny books in the back and bigger books up in the front. And, uh, and, and Jeremiah was considered the weeping prophet because unlike any of the other prophets, he didn't just declare what God said, but he added some like new revised Jeremiah version behind it. Um, he really preached what his heart was. Um, he wept for the people. He felt it where, um, you know, you get a little bit and you get some of the other prophets and mainly they're just mad at you. Um, or I think of Paul in the New Testament, he does a lot of yelling. Like, like Jeremiah's was different. His was just this heartfelt brokenness. And he was young. He was in his teens whenever God called him to go and preach this word to the people of God. Can you imagine an entire nation in desolation that's getting ready to be taken over by the most powerful nation in the world and he calls a teenager man does that familiar story echo in our hearts this advent season calls a teenager to bring the word of god to the people of god now king nebuchadnezzar actually really liked jeremiah and so he let him stay with a remnant of people in the city of jerusalem and he wailed on her behalf he begged the people to come back to her. The kings of Judah did not like him. They didn't like him. But the king of other nations saw this quality in Jeremiah and said, I understand your heart, which is just crazy to me. Sometimes our own people aren't going to understand us when we're living out kingdom principles in front of the rest of the people of God. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. I have a friend from high school who is on social media, and she's pretty anti. It's been interesting, the conversations I've had with her. We were in band together, and um, she is pretty anti-religious people as a whole because she believes we're all a bunch of hypocrites, which is fine. Um, and she really, really struggles. Um, she had a sibling that passed away young. Actually, very similar story to mine with my sister passing away when she was, when she was in high school. And uh, there have been several times where she's made comments on, on, on social media about religious people and what we think and what we believe from the perspective of somebody who is not in a relationship with Jesus. And one, I could be super offended by that and angry about it, but how's that going to help anybody? Okay, just a word of wisdom today, and I don't always have really good nuggets of wisdom, but I got one for you today. Quit being so angry, it's not helping your cause. It's not helping you out. It's not helping anybody out. It's definitely not helping my friend be like Jesus. 
And so usually she'll post things and then I'll just message her and be like, hey, I'm praying for you. She's a nurse in a very large hospital here and has been through all the things with COVID and she's just been, it's just been really hurtful for her to see a whole lot of people die. And then a lot of people who are Christian people stand up and say, we don't believe that this is that this is real or we don't believe that there is that I mean just a lot of things and I'm not going to be divisive for us in our body today like that's not the purpose of this conversation but she posted this week she said religious people don't believe everything you read also religious people everything in the bible is true and and so for me I just really struggle with like I don't know, like I really struggle with this idea that as Christian people, we have turned others off because of maybe our zeal or our big mouths or our need to be right or our defensiveness. Instead, maybe we need to come into those situations a little more like Jeremiah with a weeping heart and a troubled spirit and a desire to see people come back to God. And with that kind of spirit, whenever we come in like that, all of a sudden, maybe the other Christian people around us, maybe the other gods are like, man, she should be more mad about that. I can't believe she's not preaching about X, Y, and Z. Why isn't she standing up for this cause? Why doesn't she vocalize on Facebook who she's voting for? Or whatever the things are that people think that I need to do that I don't. Maybe instead we should, we should be a people who weep before others, who grieve about how our responses have hurt the world. And we mourn when the church doesn't behave like she should to the detriment of the salvation of the entire world. That's big business for a Sunday where we're preaching on hope. This is what I would say to you. Jeremiah comes in verse 30, in chapter 33, he comes in with these powerful words of hopefulness to a people who are not filled with hope. Ryan, can we go back to that Jeremiah passage just real short, so I'm going to read it again, just in case we've forgotten since then what it said. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel, now that we have a little bit of background, right? The day will come. He's talking about what is next. What is next? The day will come, says the Lord, when I do for Israel and Judah all the good things that I have promised them. Okay, hang tight there. So if if we're looking at all of the good things that God has promised them, all of them, there's a whole lot of things, good things that God has promised. Good things that he promised them, but good things that he has promised us. We celebrate this Advent season, the themes of hope, joy, love, and peace. And we celebrate those because those are promises of a God who says, I am coming. I have come, and I will come again. All right, now we're going to jump ahead, Ryan. We're going to jump over to that Samuel passage real quick. Can we do that? In 2 Samuel, now this is the passage specifically that scholars believe that Jeremiah was talking about here. Like, what promises of God? What are the big promises? Here's the promise that we're talking about. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And, uh, and, and this is the promise that, that God is making to King David. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do, but my favor will not be taken from him. As I look from Saul, whom I removed from your sight, your house and your kingdom will continue before me all time, for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So now we jump back into Jeremiah, where everything is desolate, where the kings are not ruling. They literally have been overtaken by another nation. There is this brokenness, and yet there is this promise of redemption, this promise that the house of David will not die, that there will always be a kingdom that is yet to come. There will be a branch, a righteous seed that is born from the line of David. I am, um, I think for today, we really have to grasp that there is, not, there is no hope if we do not trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I don't know, I learned this in, um, I learned this in, what was it? We wore the little sashes and it was like the, Caravan, the Jesus version of Girl Scouts. That's what I did. And um, and then we, we had to learn our passages. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And, and we think about that verse, but really what that did was it planted a seed in my heart that everywhere I go, if I trust in the Lord, he's going to work it out. He's going to work it out. But hope does not promise that it's going to work out like you think it should. That's not what hope does. Because we, we somehow think like, that hope is going to make everything back to the way it was before we screwed it up. That's not going to happen. I mean, very rarely does it happen. We think that hope's going to take us back and it's going to fix everything before this incident occurred in our lives that made us feel very hopeless. That's not going to happen either. Very unlikely. What trust does is it allows us to hope in the what is next. It allows us to trust in the promise that God has good for us. That is his promise. And it's probably not going to look anything like you expect it to. I'm sure that whenever King David heard those words that we just read from 2 Samuel, that he never thought that his entire kingdom would end up in desolation, sold out to another nation by its own kings. I don't think that's ever what he thought was going to happen. And when they read this verse in Jeremiah, and they read this passage, and they looked at it, and they said, oh man, he's going to perform justice and righteousness. They're living in their context, right where they are, in the middle of being separated from their nation. They're living outside of what they've always known, and their hope is going to hone in on one thing. And what is that? What's the one thing it's going to hone in on? You guys can tell me. What's their hope trying to tell them in this very moment? Yes, thank you. Chad, say it loud. Get home! Their hope right now is that we're going to get home. Do you guys get that? Did you follow? Uh-huh. Excellent. Good. Because nobody said anything. Y'all looked at me like I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and so their hope right now is that we are going to get home and everything's going to be back to normal. Everything's going to be great. We're going to have a kingdom and we're going to have a king that's this righteous seed and righteousness and justice is going to be birthed of King David and all is going to be well and the angels are going to sing hallelujah. Like it's all going to be great and peaches and cream, but it wasn't. They never got out of this funk, not truly. 
They ended up in a continuous cycle of desolation because they sold themselves out to other gods. So where was the hope? He will perform justice and righteousness. The king at this time, during the time of their exile, was King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah's name means Yahweh is righteousness. And the dude was a poophead. There was nothing about his life that exuded the righteousness of God. Nothing! Nothing! This entire passage of scripture from Jeremiah 33 is all a play on the fact that their king was not righteous. There was nothing about him that was righteous. And instead, Jeremiah says, no, no, no. It isn't King Zedekiah that's going to save us. It's not the world around us that's going to save us. It's not people who say they're being righteous but aren't really being righteous that are going to offer hope to us. Yahweh is righteousness. Yahweh is justice. He is what is good. And when Judah was at war, Babylonian, the Babylonians had laid siege, and people were in fear and in desolation. The resounding words of Jeremiah rung through their ears. Yahweh is our righteousness. He is to whom we cling. He is the righteous branch. He is what to come, what is to come. For our hope today and I don't know, I'm going I'm to ask you to think about it here in just a minute, but I don't know what area of your life needs some hope today. And I think if we all think about it long enough, we can think of an area. Maybe you don't have to think very long. I don't. It's already there. I know the area of my life that I'm struggling with right now that's not feeling very hope-filled. But when we struggle with hopelessness, our first step is to just trust in the Lord. If we can't do that, then your hope will never come. If you can't trust in him. And then be ready. Because instead of a mighty king riding on a, 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 riding on a horse with a sword, ready to do battle and overtake an entire land that is common and conquered, you may just find that your hope shows up in a manger in Bethlehem, in the form of a tiny baby born to a 15-year-old girl. Nothing like you ever thought it would. And yet, it changes the world. Our worship team is going to come up today, but I'd like for you to just take a minute and bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I want you to think right now, what is an area, and I'm going to give you a minute to do it because it may take you a minute. <sighs> what area of your life right now needs the hope of Jesus? Maybe it has to do with you, your family, maybe your job or your finances. 
Where do you need hope today? I'm going to pray, but I want you to repeat after me this short prayer this morning. And keep it right there, whatever it is that you need hope, and keep it right on the forefront of your mind as you pray this today. And I want you to pray it out loud. Dear God, you know where I need hope today. Help me to trust in you. Bring hope and light to this place of struggle and darkness. I trust in you today, oh God. Amen. We stand today. We're going to sing the song Mighty to Save. And I want you to sing it like you believe it. <laughs> like God really is in the salvation saving business. He sent his son for that, so it must have been real important. And may it bring you hope today. As you go from this place today, may God fulfill his righteousness and justice in your hearts and your lives. May he bring hope to your hopelessness and light to your darkness. And may you trust in him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>